Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'm teaching through the book of Revelation. I've been going verse by verse through, and I'm now in chapter 14. The last couple of weeks, however, I chose some another route, which was taking a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because it fits so well as a complementary text to Revelation 13, specifically about the Antichrist himself. And so I chose to go that route. In, uh, in looking at that so that we could have a, a better understanding of who the Antichrist is. So now I'm getting back on track. I'm in Revelation chapter 14, and I want to read for you the context today, and I encourage you, if you can, to get a copy of uh, your copy of the, the Word of God and read with me as I read uh, one verse, Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. And again, I am so thankful to be able to be teaching through this. as It's an exciting time in our world today as we look at the signs of the times. I just had someone text me and say that it's exciting to be living in a time where we're seeing a Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. And I've had others say it's exciting just seeing the possibility of the fulfillment of these things coming so, so very close leading us to the impression that the rapture of the church could be very, very soon. So with that in mind, let me read for you the context for today's message. It's, again, Revelation chapter 14, and I'm in verse 1. Revelation 14, verse 1. The Word of God reads, And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name in the name of his Father, written on their foreheads. I'm speaking about surviving the tribulation, and we're going to be meeting a group of individuals that, quite frankly, is a very interesting group, to put it mildly. This is a, a group of individuals that the Bible speaks of that, can, that is given to us in two different chapters. Uh, it's an amazing group uh, 144,000 of them that fall into classification in verses 4 and 5 of this t- particular chapter. Uh, it says 144, or it talks about 144,000 men who have never been defiled with women, who have kept themselves chaste, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, who have been purchased as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lies found in their mouth. They are blameless. What an incredible force that would be in the world. Now, we're going to begin trying to explain who these uh, individuals are. We know some things about them. We assume other things about them, uh, even though we have preachers. And actually, myself, I've done it many times, is preach things uh, concerning these guys that we're assuming and we present it as fact. And I'll let you know what those are in just a moment. So we've been asking the question already uh, this week, how does anyone survive the tribulation period? Uh, you, you can think about all this happening in the world uh, during the time of the tribulation period, which is that seven years after the rapture of the church. There will be a time of, uh, of chaos and judgment. Uh, you'll have judgment coming from God, and then you'll have things happening from even Satan himself that is uh, going to be very deadly. It's going to be very dangerous. It's going to be very... Uh, amazing uh, to see some of the things the people on earth are going to see as far as signs and wonders and, uh, and, and as the Bible says, false signs and wonders happening on the earth. So it's going to be a weird time on earth uh, to be living. And 
and then out of that, you you have the question: Well, if, will anybody <clears throat> survive? Because you go through two different judgments, and one third of the population's killed. And it's like, wow, that is an amazing amount of people when you think about how many people that is. Yet at the same time, you read verses in the scripture about how many people are going to be saved. Obviously, one of the purposes of tribulation that might not be stated directly as the purpose would be the salvation of so many individuals. We see it in chapter 6. We see it in chapter 7 and other chapters in which we see a glimpse of those around the throne. And it is more than they can count. And so we know that there will be a lot of people saved. But chapter 14 is a very interesting chapter. I, I, could, I could just ramble on about all this that is here in, in this chapter because it is such an interesting thing to look at. This chapter serves as a connecting. It's a connection between uh, chapters 13 and 14, or chapters 10 through 13, I mean. You have chapter 10 through 13, then you have this chapter, and then after this you have 15 and 16. You say, well, that's natural. Well, no, it's not, because 14 is kind of fits in the middle there, and it, uh, it describes the events uh, of the uh, mid-tribulation events of chapter 10 and through uh, 13, and then the events of the second half of the tribulation, which will be chapters 15 and 16. It kind of links them all together. So it is a connecting chapter in which we really need this chapter to help explain some things. But as we get into this, we're going to see this is really a chapter of encouragement and comfort. It gives words of assurance and encouragement and comfort to the saints living during the second half of the tribulation period, which happens to be the time of Jacob's trouble that Daniel refers to them, and it will be the time of the most severe of judgments and the massive campaign of, of the Antichrist. Uh, and the false prophet empowered by Satan and the demons themselves, it will be a terrible time. And so we are seeing this group of individuals uh, living during that time, and they are going to survive it. Well, who will survive? And you begin to read all that's happening, and your question becomes, or my question becomes, yours may never be that, but mine is, how many or if any how will people actually survive the tribulation period? And we see real quick there will be people surviving the tribulation period. So this chapter is very important as this time of encouragement because I truly believe that during that time of the tribulation period, according to Jeremiah, and I'll give you that verse, and actually in about two weeks I'm going to refer back to that and I'll spend a little bit more time with it. But we know from Jeremiah, we know from Daniel that during the time of the Great Tribulation that people on earth, probably these 144,000, will be stirring up people and letting them know that the book of Revelation has the answers. The book of Revelation will be a very sought-out book 
along with the book of Daniel. People will be researching those, looking at those, and trying to understand, praying for understanding, and the signs of the times as they are going through, living through these times of persecutions and judgments. They're going to need that book of Revelation. So chapter 14 is one of those chapters that will be a word of assurance to these saints living at that time, an encouragement and comfort to those people living during the second half of this this, uh, great tribulation period, this last three and a half years. And so this section, chapter 14, gives us uh, probably about five, I think it's or seven uh, actual uh, pro- proclamations given uh, from a divine side aimed at doing three things to predict the future of the program of the counterfeit trinity and that we've already been looking at that, specifically chapter 13 and second to announce the results of the uh the and the approaching of the bold judgments the last judgments of god given during the tribulation period and then third as i said to give encouragement to those living at that time now, I'll tell you what, my wife and I were talking about this just earlier. Think about those actually living this. Think about today being, now I'm, I'm out here, I'm, I'm actually in St. Louis, Missouri, where we now live, and uh, I'm looking out, it is a beautiful day, it's probably about 75 degrees out there, sunny, bright, there's no real disaster on the news right now other than uh, the leaders in our country don't know what they're doing, which is pretty bad. But there's nothing as far as judgments and the and the uh, uh, traumatic things that you read in the book of Revelation. So, but think about waking up and seeing so many of these things living during that time. We're terribly frightening during that time. So, we're looking at this time of a tribulation, and we're looking at uh, some things that are happening here. And so I want to go through probably, first of all, I don't even know how far I'll get as far as actual presentation of the text. But I want to start off by giving just some general observations. One, these are five verses, or first five verses, or we meet a group of triumphant men. They're men that God has specifically chosen for whatever task they are to, to accomplish. Interestingly, we're never really told what their task is. We are told from Revelation chapter 7 that they are sealed and they will be protected and they have the mark on them as a protection so that they will not be hurt during this time. And so that's going to come into play as far as understanding where they are in Revelation chapter 14. But another observation is there's there's a lot of faithful uh, men and, and people of the Bible that the, the Bible gives us. Uh, there's uh, there's Joseph who was uncompromising. Uh, uncompromising. There's there's Daniel who was also uh, a tremendous uh, walk with God that we see. Paul is is one of those in the New Testament. Do we see as more faithful, godly uh, preachers, witnesses to God? But never in the history of the earth has there been such a large group, 144,000 men of this level of commitment, usually. <clears throat> usually appear here and there sort of isolated one from another. But here, we see a unique group of force. Can you imagine if this, if their task is to be witnesses as far as preachers, which uh, many of the writers do proclaim them as they will be a mass evangelists? Well, we, we're assuming that's right because of the mass numbers of people saved. 
But if that is true, boy, can you imagine the the godly preachers, 144,000 strong, battle-weary, yes, having survived the worst of the history of, of, of massacres in the world, seven years of an onslaught, onslaught of combination of the wrath of heaven and then the wrath of Satan himself, <clears throat> as we read in Revelation chapter 12, going after Israel is what Satan will do using the Antichrist and the false prophet. Going after them, and then you've got the judgment of God and the, the along with those assaults of Satan. And so, through it all, these 144,000 are triumphant. One writer says they are like 144,000 Daniels. Well, we're going to be seeing some things that makes them unique. We're going to be taking a look at several things. So that is just a general observation of who these people actually are. Another observation is chapter 14 marks a dramatic change. 12 and 13 is Satan is in action. Chapter 14, we see God is in action. And that is a specifically different thing to see. Before the specifics of the seventh trumpet mentioned back in chapter 11 unfold, unfold actually in chapter 15 and 16, uh, here are three visions given in this chapter. Three visions. All three of them look at the victory of the Lamb. The first vision has to do with 144,000. The second vision has to do with a series of angels. And the final vision has to do with one who comes with a sharp sickle in his hand bringing judgment. <clears throat> what a tremendous, a tremendous thing. I think actually by, when I actually read chapter 14, I thought... Well, there's really not a lot here. But the more I looked at it, and the more I read it, and the more I began to do my observational study through this, man, I, I just began to write. It was I, I, too much. I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. Let me give you some things that I've found from other writers that I think is very interesting. There are several, as another way of general observation, there are several notable contrasts between chapter 13 and chapter 14, just so you will understand where we are when we take a look at chapter 14, trying to understand who it is that is going to be surviving the tribulation period. Because remember now, the tribula uh, the, these seven are laid out, I mean these seven, these 144,000 are laid out for us in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. That's where we first see them. And so, Chapter 7 specifically answers chapter 6 major question, and that major question is found in the last verse of chapter 6 when it says, For the great day of their wrath has come, referring to all those who see the return of Christ, and who is able to stand. And then chapter 7 says that there are at least 144,000 who are going to be able to stand, and so we take a look at them. But there are several notable contrasts between chapter 13 and chapter 14 of the book of Revelation. I just want to go through some of these for you so that you can understand what we're looking at when we look at 14 and why I might be getting a little excited. I get excited sometimes when I see uh, such tremendous things in a chapter. So all these three of these visions that we looked at look at victory. The triumph of the Lamb of God that we first saw in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. Now, another way to look at this chapter 14 is the top side of 13. 13 is a dark underside 
as one writer puts it. Chapter 14 is a light topside. That may not explain too much. Chapter 13 is a dark picture of the Antichrist and his people, his followers. Yet chapter 14 is a light picture of Christ and his people. Interesting, isn't it? Chapter 13 is Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, demons, uh, uh, and the mark of the beast. All that's found in 13. But yet 14 is God, Christ, angels, the redeemed saints, truth, genuine worship, and the mark of God for protection. That's in 14. The the contrasts are, are very notable. In 13, you have the beast. 14, you have the lamb. In 13, now these are chapters. In chapter 13, you have the false. And in chapter 14, you have the true uh, and the real. In chapter uh, 13, you have the wicked. In chapter 14, the righteous. In chapter 13, corruption. In chapter 14, purity. In chapter 13, blasphemy that you'll see coming from the very words and lips of the Antichrist. And in chapter 14, you have praise coming from the lips of the 144,000 in their new song that they sing. In chapter 13, destruction. In chapter 14, protection. In chapter 13, death. In chapter 14, you have life. In chapter 13, you have 666. (laughs) And in chapter 14, you have 144,000. And there are many others, actually, as you look at these two chapters. There could not be two different chapters, and yet notably are the contrasts in in what these are and what they represent. That's why I wanted to give that to you, so you can just understand a little bit about how chapter 14 shakes out. So if we come to chapter 14, we're turning to God's side, or the top side, as we've already mentioned, of the action again, and we immediately meet a group of men that we are calling triumphant. Why are we calling them triumphant? But because they've lived through the tribulation period. This is obviously at the end of the tribulation period, Uh, and so we find a group of men who have been victorious, who are in the classic category that we would call them, man, they're victorious. They have won. They've made it. And I would imagine many a day, maybe even many a minute or hour, those people and many people will think, how in the world am I going to make it even another hour? So, we see 144,000, and we know there's going to be others that are going to be there. We've seen Satan's plan to take over in chapter 12. Chapter 13 hit Satan's assault on all of God's people and his whole operation. Now we're going to find out that with all the effort by Satan and all the effort of the demons and the world system that is behind them that engulfs all of humanity, with all of that, Satan, listen to this, Satan, in the end, he does not win. No, he does not win. Now why is that important? It may not be actually as important to me and you today listening to how this... this passage of Scripture is being uh, broadcast. But imagine living during that day and understanding that. After reading chapter 13 and agreeing with it as someone living during the, the Great Tribulation will be, imagine reading chapter 13 and think, wow, I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. 
Because remember in chapter 13, it says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding, and that would be a believer, calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Well, during that day, that man of understanding will be a Christian, maybe even one of the hundred, imagine we're just, we're just picking out one, maybe it's one of the 144,000. He's going to read that verse, and he's going to say, wow, I do understand. I am able to see this number. I realize who this man is and what he's been up to and who has been giving him his power. Wow, what a tremendous thing to see. And this, that chapter, that verse in chapter eight, in chapter 13, verse 18, along with chapter 14, especially verse 1, is going to be that word of encouragement to them. Because they're going to realize, when you read, the, read in Revelation chapter 13, you begin to think Satan is going to win. <clears throat> How can you have all of the people in the world that chapter 13 talks about? All who dwell on the earth will worship him, except Christians, believers, those who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will not follow Him. They will not worship Him. So how could you think, if those, if that's happening like that, how could you not think and be encouraged as you read this, that Satan does not win? In the end, on Mount Zion stands the Lamb. I guarantee you people during that time are going to look at chapter 14, verse 1, and understand exactly what this is talking about. Now, this is a very important opening vision here in chapter 14. And we need to understand all we can about these saints. To help with that, uh, you know, we could go back and look at all this in chapter 6, for example, the seals being broken and the earthquakes, and then the, chapter, uh, the end of chapter 6, who was able to stand, and then we're given chapter 7 of Revelation, and we're told, well, these 144,000 are going to be able to understand are going to be able to stand because God is going to see to it that they can. These are men that have been elected by God. Oh, I know that word throws people. Oh, I know. I wish I, I wish I, that was not true. But these people, and, and I don't want to beg the subject too much, but when you talk about God's, the election of God, I don't know why that offends Christians so bad. Think about during the time of the tribulation period. Think about those that are not part of the 144,000. Think about men who were not chosen to have that seal of protection. You think they might look at God and say, <clears throat> but God, that's not fair. How come my brother over here, and literally could be somebody's brother, is sealed with protection, and I'm not. That's not fair, God. You didn't give me a chance. Oh, you see how election is? Election is just simply God reserving for God the right to be God. God doing what He wants to do for His good pleasure. Now, you take that and you put it into salvation, and you say, God elected me from before the foundations of the earth as... Chapter 13, verse 8 says, listen to what it says. All those who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist. Everyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Well, that means everyone 
who is saved had their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life when? Before the foundations of the world. In other words, if you're listening to me today and you are a Christian, a born-again believer in Christ, then your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before you were born, before the earth was created. In other words, before the very foundation of the earth, God predetermined you are going to be saved. Now, he didn't look through the tunnel of time and say, I see way out there in the future, William Rogers is going to be saved, so I'm going to put his name in the book. That's not, that's not God at all. That's not the God I read about. That's not the sovereign election God that I know. I can't get off on that. I just can't do it. But think about this. Is it fair? If, if, if you're one of the ones and you're about to turn this off because you don't want to hear election, I'm not preaching on election. I'm preaching on Revelation chapter 14. But if you're one of the ones who have a problem with the election, why? Ask yourself, why? Why would that word offend me to think that God chose me before the foundations of the world? Why would that offend me? Well, you say, well, because he's not given my, someone that I know who's not saved yet a chance. Well, you don't know. They may be elect too, but they just hadn't been saved yet. I, I, I know several people who talk to me and communicate with me during the week that have relatives, family, brothers, or sisters and, and they're off on some wild thing involved in all kinds of stuff that I hear. Well, let me tell you something. Here's your encouragement. If they've got breath in them, they can be saved. Are they elect from the foundations of the world to be saved? I don't know. And neither do you. No one knows. So you preach unto them Jesus. You teach unto them. You encourage them every way you can. And remember, your life might be the only real witness and testimony they'll ever actually read. Your life might be the only Bible they ever read. And you're in the family. So you keep it straight. You keep it real for them. Let me tell you something. Don't stop praying for your family. If you have a sister, <clears throat> you pray for her. That God will save her. And think about this. Why would God put that burden in your heart if she's not going to be saved? Or your brother is not going to be saved. Think about that. And here, 144,000 Jewish men. You think they woke up one day and prayed that God would make them uh, one part of the, the, that specific elite group of men who are going to be protected through the whole tribulation period? No, they didn't wake up to that. But God sovereignly chose these 144,000 and marked them out for this. Who can survive? These can. <clears throat> and many others will survive, but these are 144,000 specifically marked out. And perhaps they are evangelists. Perhaps they are going to be able to teach and to preach throughout the world and to be great evangelists. I don't know. But I do want to get into just one or two things here as we continue to look at this. So I want you to look at this verse again, verse 1 of Revelation chapter 14. I told you I could give you... Uh, in fact, I've actually got four more pages of general observations. I could keep going. But I want to jump right into this text a little bit and give you some of the, the details. Because as we talked about here, it's very important. Uh, details. I, I looked and it says, Behold, that's a phrase used several times in the book of Revelation. And I'm looking at Revelation 14.1. It says, And I looked, and behold. You see that? It's used ten times in Revelation. John continually 
uh, is calling attention to some dramatic things. I looked and wow, you could say, or that could be another way of an exclamation point. And what did I see this time? He's already said it eight times. He's going to say it even more. I saw the lamb standing on Mount Zion. What lamb? Well, he's referring again to the same lamb that's in back in chapter 5, verse 6. Here we saw the lamb standing again between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders. John said in that verse, I saw the lamb standing, <clears throat> excuse me, as if slain. The slain lamb is none other than Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, you see the lamb crucified there in chapter 5, verse 6. You see the lamb glorified in chapter 5, verses 8, 12, and 13. You see the lamb magnified in chapter 7, verse 9, 10, 14, and 17. And here you see the lamb standing on Mount Zion. You can follow your way through the book of Revelation really by following the lamb. Let me tell you, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the reason why it makes sense is because you go back to Revelation chapter 1 and you see the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of, of uh, the church. It's not the revelation of the elders. and <clears throat> It's not the revelation of the judgment. And I'm being facetious. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you follow the Lamb and you're getting really a path through the book of Revelation. And there he is, standing on Zion. This is a monumental moment, my friends. It is a big, big moment. I can't emphasize this enough. I cannot tell you how important it is. It goes all the way back to Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, the Father says this. Listen to this. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And by way of prophecy, he says, The day is coming when I shall send the anointing one, the Messiah, and he will take his place on Mount Zion. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important because look at what verse 14 says. I mean, verse chapter 14, verse 1 says, He's standing on Mount Zion. This is uh, after the tribulation. So guess what? This is at the time of His second coming, just before the entrance into the millennial reign, His millennial reign, or the kingdom. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 2. If you, well, you don't have to turn there because I know it takes too much time. Psalm 2 says that God will give him the nations as his inheritance, the very ends of the earth as his possession. That's the great kingdom. He will break them with a rod of iron, shatter them in the earthenware and the clay pot. This is the fulfillment of that. This should be the exhilarating, overwhelming, captivating uh, part of this for every Jew who has ever hoped for fulfillment of Psalm 2. Now think about this. People reading during the time of tribulation period will see this. They'll read this. They'll understand. Man, we're getting close to the kingdom coming. Coming. Amazing. It's coming. Psalm 48 says the same thing. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Mount Zion doesn't just mean a little hill. It means Jerusalem, the great place. Mount Zion is where the Messiah is going to come. Why is that important? Well, it says it right here in chapter 14, verse 1. I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. <clears throat> now, it doesn't say someone like the Lamb was standing on something like Mount Zion. That's not what it is. So, where is it? It's on the earth. Now, I know there are several people out there that are writers 
I know a mirror even calls this a heavenly scene, but it's not heaven. I know that uh, several others have called this. I know that, uh, uh, what's his name? I'm thinking uh, uh, Arnold Frutenbaum calls it uh, heaven. Ryrie calls it heaven. But it's not a look at heaven. If it was heaven, that means that chapter 7, that protection, they weren't protected. This is them having survived. This is them as a, as, a, as a faithful promise that God made to them by sealing them in chapter 7 of Revelation. Now we see them still alive, having survived all of the tribulation period, and they're standing there with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who has returned, and they're fixing to go into the kingdom. That is victory. That is what we're looking at here. This is amazing. In fact, you can tell, folks, I have not even begun to touch this. So, uh, uh, I thank you for joining me today. Uh, For now, uh, you have been listening to William Rogers in the teaching on the book of Revelation. Verse by verse, we're in chapter 14, verse 1. Next week, we're going to continue in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 5. Folks, don't miss it. If you didn't catch last time, Read that or go back and listen to that. But thank you for joining me today, and we will uh, talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye.